today, we have uh, 2 Samuel 24, verses 18 through 25. It says, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araniah, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, as the Lord commanded, and when Araniah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Araniah went out and paid homage uh, to the king with his face to the ground. And Araniah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, um, or David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arana said to David, let my lord the king take an offer up, uh, what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. The word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so before I get into the text that we have before us today, I need to back up and go over a little bit of what we've talked about, what Pastor Laramie preached on last week, uh, just so that we can have some context here. Uh, so the backstory behind this is that uh, David takes the census of the kingdom of God, and in doing so, he sins against God, and God takes, like he takes all sin, he takes this sin very seriously, um, or takes it very serious. And when you look at the census itself, we look at that and we say, well, why, is, why was that sinful? Well, it's the heart behind it. So really the reason for the census was the problem. Uh, David, it's something that David noticed in himself right away after he did it. Uh, it seemed to stem from a selfish ambition, and that was, uh, that was the problem. And that's where all sin stems from is selfish ambition. But as soon as David takes the census, we see that in verse 10 of this same chapter, that conviction hits his heart. And scripture says this, David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now notice he just didn't say I have sinned. He, he saw the severity of his sin, that he had sinned greatly against the Lord. He says, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So this wasn't just a little thing that was done, um, and, and something that was just, you know, just a minor issue, this is right up there with his adultery with Bathsheba. And it's mentioned in detail like that sin before. So this is something that God sees as important, so it shouldn't be important to us as well. It teaches us a little bit about sin, the doctrine of sin. You know, we may think that, oh, that's no big deal, I do this, I do that. No, all of it is a big deal to God. That's why we need Christ. Why we need the cross, because when we sin, you know, we 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 commit as R.C. Sproul you would say cosmic treason, right? When we sin against God, and so that is our problem. That's why we need a savior. So, Gad, who was the prophet of God in service of David, was sent by God to deliver a prophecy, or rather, a judgment on David for 
for this particular sin that he had committed in taking the census. Now, this was really unique because when Gad presented the judgment to him, he gave him some options. He gave him three options to choose from, three judgments to choose from. First one was three months of famine. Second, three months of fleeing from his enemies or his foes. And then the third one was three days of pestilence. Now, I put myself in David's shoes at this point, and I remember as a kid, you used to have a choice, right? It was, sometimes you had a choice of what you would get punished with. And if it were anything like you get a week of no TV, or you get three days of not being able to play outside, or you just get a spanking, right? It's like, well, I'll, I'll choose the third one. And then in the middle of the spanking, you, you wish you had chosen the other two. There is no good choices. There are no good choices in this situation. And, and that's the point. Uh, with, with David, it might have seemed like he gave us the reason. He said, I, I, I'd rather, in, in his view, he'd rather been in the hands of God because God shows him mercy rather than having to run from men again. Um, he didn't want to be hunted like he was before. And I don't blame him. I, I get that because he had, that had happened to him so much. And I, I, I would automatically be put or place my, my thinking on the three, three days because that seems a lot better than three months of anything else. Well, there is no right choice here. Every, any choice of judgment would have been harsh, as it should be, uh, because it is the discipline of God that turns us and, 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 and re- helps us to repent. So David chose the three days of pestilence here, but as a result of that judgment, 70,000 men died. That, that's amazing to me. They perished at the hands of the angel of God. Now, it could have been worse, but God relented. Look at verse 16 of chapter 24. It's describing, it says, When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel, who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So it would have been worse, but yet the Lord showed mercy and he, he stopped it. Now, David, witnessing all of this, he's witnessing this destruction of the people, and he's able to to see, I don't know if everybody else was able to see, but God allowed him to see the angel of God that was working destruction. And he saw the destruction of his people, of his kingdom, and he cried out to the Lord in verse 17. He said that when he saw the angel who was striking the people, he said, behold, I have sinned and I have done then he goes on to say, these are sheep. They haven't done anything. It's, it's all on me. But he, he, notice he cries out for forgiveness. He cries out to God for help. And then that's where we come here in verse 18. Well, in verse 18, Gad came that day to David. And he said to him, go up, raise an altar or build an altar to the Lord. He says, build it on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And then so in verse 19, it tells us that David, David went and did what the Lord commanded. Now, in response to David's plea for forgiveness, we see that the Lord is, is faithful. And the Lord is merciful, and he sends his prophet with instructions for David to follow, to build this altar. And when he tells him to build this, this altar, what he's doing is that he is telling him to go and build a place of worship. That were, that's where David would worship the Lord. Now, here's a question that, that comes up in my mind when I read this passage. Why is, is David to worship the Lord right at this point? I, I think it's a good question to ask in, in this passage right here at this point. 
And the answer is because God has relented his judgment on David and the people, and he has forgiven their sin. That, that's why this is a good part or a good point uh, to stop and worship. And, and that's, that's the Lord's point here with David. He is to go and build this altar to the Lord. And the whole point of it is so that they can worship God. And they're worshiping God because he was merciful and because he relented from his judgment and he had forgiven their sins. I don't know about you, but first of all, there are many reasons to worship the Lord. Many reasons. If you lack one, just search your heart and you will find one. Just, just look around you. Just take a breath, right? Just feel your heart. Uh, uh, just, just, just look at the, the clothes that you're wearing, the roof over your head. It, there are many, many reasons to praise God. Uh, we, we could never run out of them. But to worship the Lord, to worship him, and, and to really appreciate him, there is no sweeter thing than the joy of worshiping him because he has relented his wrath on you and he has forgiven your sin. There, there's nothing sweeter than that. The day that you realize that, the day that you realize that, that God has forgiven your sins, that he has taken the iniquity away from you and, and he has freed you from this bondage of sin and, and now the price that Christ paid on the cross, it, it has set you free there is no better worship than that. I mean, I still remember the moment that happened to me. I'll never forget that moment. That's an important moment in our life. I know some, some people don't realize the moment it happens, but at least you know around the time period that it happens, you know that there's a change of mind, that there's a change of heart. And, and you realize I am set free by this wonderful God, and, and I don't deserve to be set free. And, and you worship him in a way that you've never worshiped him before. But the problem is we forget about that when it comes to the everyday stuff. And, and sometimes it's tough to come and worship him on Sundays. That's the day that we're supposed to come and worship him. That's the day that's set aside for the saints to come together and, and, and to just be thankful in their hearts for everything God has blessed, them, blessed us with, to come together and, and, and be joyful and worship him, sing, pray, listen to the sermon, teach, everything. Your flesh tells you one thing, but the spirit tells you another. See, but the moment you question why you need to be here, even today, even in a, in a building right now where the AC is not working properly, moment you start to question that you remember you are here not because of any other reason but that Christ died for your sins that Christ saved you and because he saved you you are forgiven therefore you worship amen that's why we're here we're not here because God helped us through a sickness we're not here because God has blessed us financially we're not here because of any other reason but that, that Christ saved us from our sins, and now we stand in front of God forgiven. That is, that is the reason why we worship. That is the reason why we are here. See, worship is the only appropriate response to something like that. And so when this happens, and God relents from his destruction of, of Israel and 
of, of, of the people of Israel, he tells, he tells David, go and, build an, go and build an altar and worship me. Now, the location of the worship is important here, too. David is to go to, as Scripture says, the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. That's a very important detail. Now, the threshing floor is in the Old Testament is where the grain was separated from the chaff. And we see in the New Testament, there's a lot of symbolic teaching referring to that as God's judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous, them being separated. The chaff goes into the fire to be burned. It's, it's for destruction. And, of course, the grain is, 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 is put away. It's, it's harvested and put away uh, for safekeeping. And, and so we're familiar with that language, but that's where this is happening, uh, where David is to go and build this altar to the Lord. Now, David is told to go to the exact location where he saw the angel of the Lord stretching out his hand toward Jerusalem. That was in, in whatever it was, whatever David saw, uh, if it was a vision or if it was an actual, the actual angel he saw himself. Uh, that's where the angel was and that's where he was to go. I ask again, why? Why? Why, why does he have to go to the threshing floor of Arana, Arana and, and, and why does he have to build the altar there? Well, I, I think if you really think about the situation, um, they are to worship because God has forgiven them, right? He has saved them from destruction and he has forgiven them, but they are to worship there so that they won't forget the mercy he displayed towards them that very day and every day after that. They're going to the exact location where the incident happened. The angel was there stretching out his hand to destroy the Israelites, to destroy them. And then all of a sudden, he relented. He relented his judgment, and he pulled his hand back. And that's the exact location where David is to go and raise this altar to the Lord so that they will not forget. Well, the same is true for us today as well. See, the location where David is told to raise this altar, this, this altar and to worship, again, it's the same place where the angel was, but it's also the same place where the temple would be built in the future. Solomon's temple would be built on that ground. Why? So that they wouldn't forget. You put the temple, first you put, you put, you put the altar there. That's, that's going to be temporary until the temple is built. They didn't know this, but the Lord did. Why do you put it at that location? Because let's never forget what happened here. Let's always remember, we sinned against the Lord and the Lord forgave us for our sins. He showed mercy towards us. Now, I want you to think about that because you have these two things going on. First, you have this, this temporary uh, altar, and then you have the, the temple that is built later in the future. Now, I want us to fast forward. I want us to fast forward approximately 1,000 years from this point, right, from this point in time. There, uh, from 1,000 years from this point in time, Jesus is crucified on the cross, for the sins of the world. We read in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So a thousand years, approximately. Let me ask you this. Why is the symbol of the cross associated with Christian worship? 
Why is it? So that we don't forget. Right? It's the same thing. It holds this symbolic meaning that should be important to us. So we know that our Lord and Savior was crucified on a cross. And we carry a cross with us. We have it in our house. I have this ring that I got for my ordination. I got it in 2009. And I wear two rings. I wear my wedding band and I wear this ring. And I plan to keep it that way until... The Lord takes me and then somebody can have these rings. But I, I wear this ring and it has a small cross on it. It's just a daily reminder of what happened at the foot of the cross. Some have necklaces, some have tattoos, some have just different things to remind you. And those things are good. Those things are good to remind us. As long as they're causing us to think of what happened at the foot of the cross, we can never forget that. It's symbolic. It's important. It's the reason why we live and the reason why we serve. It gives us purpose in life. And, and that's exactly what is going on here in the Old Testament. God said, build the altar there. You are to worship in that specific location because you are never to forget that I relented for my judgment against you and I showed you mercy. Well, my friends, don't ever forget what happened on the cross. Ever. Because on the cross, we know that our Lord paid the price for us. We know that he satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. And on the cross, we must remember that we belong there. But yet Christ took our place. That is where God relented from his wrath. And he showed us mercy. So we can never forget that. That's an important thing for us. We are to carry our cross with us daily, so to speak. Knowing that we do not deserve the mercy that we have. Knowing that we do not deserve the blessings and the gifts that we have. But everything comes to us through the cross. Now, I think this part of it is important as well. We go many places. We do many things. We can never go far from the cross. In fact, as we go to these places, as we go to these things, we take the cross with us. We carry it with us. Because our heart desires many things. It's prone to wander. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to go there. We want to achieve this. We're thinking about everything except the things that we should be thinking about. And that is how we are to serve the Lord today. The further we wander away from the cross, the more, the more problems we have, the more joy we lose. Our happiness, our foundation, our purpose, our very life is found at the cross, and it must go with us wherever we go. Obviously, I'm not speaking about just a symbol going along with you, but I'm talking about the circumcision of the heart, remembering what Christ has done for you, serving him out of joy, out of appreciation, being, be, uh, being that willing servant because he has done so much for you. Now, look at verse 20. David is sent to this place. Arana has no idea about it. Uh, he looks down. He sees a king coming to him. And he went out and he paid homage to the king. Uh, and he showed a, uh, this is a sign of respect, 
face to the ground. Verse 21, then Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servants? And that's a fair question. David said, I'm here to buy the threshing floor from you. I know it's not for sale, um, but I'm here to buy it. And he explains, he says, I'm here to buy it from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. So the way it looks right now, the plague, the plague is, is paused. It, it's on pause right now uh, because right now it's not fully averted, right? And then, and then later we are told that the plague was averted from Israel, so it was taken away. But at this moment in time, it's, it's, it's on pause right now, and, and David is going to do what the Lord had commanded him to do. Well, as uh, Arana wondered and asked David why he was there, David already David knew why he was there. And, and he did what the Lord commanded him to do. Now, that's one of the biggest differences between David and Saul. Uh, David and Saul both sin against the Lord, and, and their sins are exposed and, and presents to, presented to us in scripture. Only difference is that David repented. In other words, he, he responded in obedience and faith. And we see that Saul did not. Many times Saul didn't even know that he had sinned. He had to be told and then he had to be convinced. David understood that he needed to do this. Because the Lord, he had sinned against the Lord and the Lord had commanded him to do this very thing. But it seems like he also understood that this uh, would not be a, just a thing that he would build, that, that he would build just for a couple of days and knock it down. Uh, David was to buy this, this, this property from Arana and build this altar here. So he would buy it and then treat it as holy ground because that's what they would do whenever they would buy something and, 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 and use it and build an altar there, it would become holy ground. And then so therefore, it'd be recognized as that from, therefore, from, from that point forward. Now, this would, again, later pave the way for the temple to be, built, to be built there. Now, going to verse 22, Arana said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Right? That's what he tells him. And then he offers the oxen for the burnt offering. He offers the, uh, the sledges. Says here's also the yokes uh, for the uh, oxen. Use it for wood. So when David presents this uh, idea to Arana, this request that he needs to buy uh, this threshing floor, Arana responds in, with good intentions, and he freely offers the land, and then he also offers everything else. Look at verse 23. He says all. It says all this. O King Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord, your God, accept you. In other words, here you go, you can have all of it, and may he accept your sacrifice. May he accept your altar, and may he accept your worship that you are doing here this day. Now, David's response here is, is really astonishing. Um, it's been something that I've been thinking about all week. And honestly, it's been something that has... Um, that has broken me this week and, and caused me really to, to look within myself. I, I, can't, I can't get it out of my mind. In verse 24, here's David's response. He says, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. 
Arana wants to offer it to, to, offer it, uh, to him for free. He says, no, I'm going to buy it at a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. That's, that's David's stance there. And, and I think it's, it's pretty astonishing. Instead of receiving the threshing floor, the oxen, and the wood for free, David has a different understanding. He's very aware of his sin against God. He's very aware of what he has done. He's very aware of what he deserves. He's also very aware of what God has done for him. It's humbling. He has a deep understanding that it needed to cost him something to worship the Lord properly. That blew my mind. Because, first of all, if this were to happen to any one of us, and we were to go and do something, and and something was offered us, something was offered to us free, what would we do? We'd say, praise the Lord, thank you. We would receive it, and we wouldn't think twice about it. Um, Some of us may respond and say, oh, I can't take that. But eventually, if we were pressed, we would just, we would take it. And we would see it as a blessing from God. And yeah, it would be a blessing from God. But here, David is following specific instructions from the Lord. And even though Arana offered this property free to him, he stops him and he says, no, I I can't, I can't do that. This is going to have to cost me something. You don't understand. I'm here to worship the Lord. It has to cost me something. It it, it has to. We cannot worship the Lord properly if it's not costing us something. Some may say, no, no, wait a second, Pastor. Everything has been paid. You, You alluded to the cross. Everything has been paid on the cross. Christ paid it all. Yes, Jesus did pay it all. To that I will say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He did pay it all. But I'm not speaking about salvation here. You're right, he paid it all. You are saved only by the works of Christ. That's why he said his work was finished. He completely and utterly paid it all on the cross. That's salvation. We understand grace is a gift to us, but it's not free. Right? We know that. It's a gift to us. It's free for us. But it's not free. It costs God much. It costs God his one and only son. It costs pain and suffering on the cross. It costs God much to bestow us with unending grace. So although it's free to us, it is not free. It costs God. The Bible is very clear about this. Romans 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because grace is free to us, and we willingly accept that. We thank God for that. 
It is free to us. But listen, just because grace is free doesn't mean the act of worship should not cost us anything. In fact, this is where we get to pay a price. God paid it all. He has given us grace. But as we worship the Lord, worship must cost us everything. It must. Just like a sacrifice in the Old Testament would cost everything to the person who was performing the sacrifice or giving the sacrifice, it would cost them. The act of worship on our part should cost us much. It should be a sacrifice. It should be something that we, that we strain to give to God. It, 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 just, it can't be our very least. It, it cannot be. And, and David had this understanding that, no, like, I can't take this from you free. I'm here to worship. It, th- this is an act of worship for me, so it has to come from my heart, but it has to cost me something because God has been so gracious to me. We often get grace and worship twisted in our minds, and it actually warps our expectations. Some think because grace is free for us and worshiping the Lord shouldn't come with any burdens either. It's like, no, all the, the price has been paid. I'm saved. Now I can relax. That could be further from the truth. The price has been paid. You are saved. Now worship it with everything that you are, everything that you have. That's what we're called to. We're called to give God our best, not what's left over. We give our lives to everything else except for what we're supposed to give it to. Why? Because we still have this mentality of grace being free, then therefore everything else is without a burden. No, but because grace is free, we carry this burden with us for the rest of our lives to worship the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our might, all of our soul. That's what we are called to. See, if you have this mentality that that worship should cost you nothing, I can pretty much describe you from here. The moment you have to sacrifice something, the moment you have to sacrifice something monetarily, spiritually, with your time, the moment something is an inconvenience to you, you begin to complain about what you have to do for the Lord. And you begin to want other people to know this is what I'm having to sacrifice because of the Lord, because of what I have to do. And you may not say it like that, but that's what you mean. You've taken your attention off of the Lord. You've placed it on yourself And now you're worried about what you have to give up in order to do what you've been called to do. That is everybody in here, everybody and me. And that's why I've been so torn up about this. That one little passage, I sit there and I I just. Hard to come to the realization that we're like that. You 
can give up everything that God has given you and it would still not be enough. Some of us have given up so much. So much. Some of us have not received hardly anything in return in our own minds. Right? Because we have our eyes focused on here and not here. And we sit here and we complain and we say, why should I do this? No one appreciates it. Why should I do this? No one's, no, no one's growing. No one's listening. No one's whatever. And listen, this happens in every facet of our life. And I'll prove it to you. When our spouse doesn't appreciate us, what do we say? Why do I even, why do I even try? Well, why are you treating your spouse the way you're treating him? Why are you, why do you respect him? Why do you love her? Why do you serve him? Why do you care for her? If, if, if you're doing that in order to get something from them, then yeah, you're going to be complaining. You're going to say, why do I even try? But it shouldn't be for that reason. We need to do this out of reverence for Christ. We are husbands and wives that is a ministry, and we are to serve one another out of reverence for Christ. Come on, amen, right? What about if you have kids? Well, the kids aren't listening to me. They never do. Why do I even sacrifice so much for them? Or no, you tell me that. Why do you sacrifice so much for them? Is it to get something in return? Do you want to be father of the year, mother of the year? Do you want to hear praises about how good of a parent you are? If that's what you're waiting for, then that's why you're complaining. But if you have your heart in the right place and you're being this parent out of reverence for Christ, it all goes out the window. Right? It all goes completely out the window. How about when people take advantage of us? That happens all the time. You may respond, why did I make myself so vulnerable? Why do I even give the time? Again, it goes to the heart of the matter. What are you doing it for? When people hurt us, why should I forgive them? They, they don't deserve it. You're right. They don't deserve it. But we're told in Scripture that we must forgive because we have been forgiven. Like everything goes back to the Lord. And so when you really think about worship and what that entails, it entails your whole life. I'm not just, I haven't even gotten to what you do for the church yet. There, there's so much there too. Worship, it's, it's our whole life. And we've developed this worldly philosophy that is self-centered. If people don't agree with us, then get rid of them. If people don't appreciate us, don't waste your time. If, it, if it's too difficult for you and, it, and it, it's too much of an inconvenience for you, then, then you need to drop that and you need to focus on self. See, true genuine worship is, is the opposite of that. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. There you go, that's a cost. That costs a lot. Denying yourself. Let him deny himself. Not once, not twice, 
not for a year, not for two years, not for 15, not for 20 years. Let this be our lifestyle. We must deny ourselves. We must take up the cross. Just take up his cross and follow me. So take up our cross. What is that? Our burden. What is that burden of? It's the burden of ministry. Ministry is a burden. I'm, I'm tired of Christians walking around thinking that their, their lives should be easy and that there should be no burden to their lives. And, and the moment burden comes, they just fold. We need to be stronger than that. We need to realize that life is a burden. Ministry is a burden, but yet we are to carry it around and worship to God. Yes, grace is free for you, but true worship, true worship is going to cost you, and it's going to cost you everything. Why? Because nothing in your life is off limits to the Lord. And that's a big lesson for me this year. Like I, I've, I've known that, but it's like, are you living that? Are you reminding yourself of that when inconveniences come, when the burden gets too much, when the grind of just everyday ministry gets to you? Are you remembering that? And I'll be the first to say I have not been remembering that. I'm guilty of that. I've been selfish. And you know what? I don't know how to turn it off completely. I'm going to just spill my heart to you. I don't know how to turn it off. And I know you and I, we're not different. We're no different. We don't know how to just completely turn it off. It's something that we have to pray and trust the Lord to help us with. This, this, this request of denying yourself is the most difficult thing in the world. Because you have a lot of questions. How much is too much? How much, right? How much can I honestly give? What if I just give my life? Is that too much? Those are the things that I'm working through, and I, I pray that you're going to be working through those things as well. One thing I know is that worship should cost me much. I, I, I shouldn't have this completely comfortable life where everything I want is happening. I'm not having to give of my time, my talents, my treasures. And, and, and the, time, the time, talents, and treasures I do give, it's not just, oh, here's, here's what I can afford. It's, 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 it's a sacrifice, so to speak. Being a, a husband, being a father, being a pastor, it's a sacrifice. And it should never, ever be comfortable. If you're living a comfortable and self-serving life, then I would say that you do not understand what worship is. And I think that's fair to say at this moment in time when we understand this passage. Now, I just want to quickly draw a general application and then we're done. I think it's pretty fitting that the Ending of 2 Samuel tells us a story of God dealing with another one of David's sins. Throughout 1 and 2 Samuel, we see the eternal king of glory, that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, 
and that he's always present. He's also completely holy and full of mercy. Like We, we see all these things about him. Uh, that's what I've appreciated the most uh, going through these books. All these traits are displayed not only throughout, but also in this final story here in 2 Samuel. And we understand what scripture says. God doesn't, he has no need to change, right? Because he is, he is perfect. So he hasn't wavered from these traits, so to speak. The word of God shows us who God is. And it also shows us how we are to worship him. I hope that through going through these books, we have identified ourselves with the weaker person. We have identified ourselves with the Israelites when they're scared, when they're sinning, when they're running away, when they can't protect themselves. We have, I hope we have identified ourselves with David when he has sinned against God, not when he's defeating Goliath. That's Christ. But when he's sinning against God, and he's failing God, and he's making poor decisions, he's not managing his family right. I, I, I hope we've identified ourselves with them. And realize that we sin against the Lord. And like them, we are disciplined by him. Now, here's the thing that David has, has taught me a lot. David, a man after God's own heart, that cannot possibly mean that he did not commit a sin because we see his sin laid before us. It means that he did not waver from his faith in the Lord. It means that he did not worship idols. He didn't turn his back to the Lord and worship others like Solomon and other people did, other kings did. Well, if we're going to be like David and the Israelites, I think we have a choice to make. We either repent and believe whenever we sin against the Lord, and that's all the time, or we continue to fall further into the pit of sin. I think we have two prime examples. We have David and we have Saul. Both sinned. David repented. Saul did not. And we can see the outcome of their lives. The one who continues to live in sin, he's like a man who has fallen down a deep pit. There is no hope for that person. Only the realization that at some point you're going to hit the bottom. That has to be one of the, the, the most dreadful feelings in the world, falling, knowing you're going to hit the bottom at some point, and it's going to hurt. The one who repents is like the man who, while falling, reaches out and grabs the wall, clings on to the wall. He may even hang there for a while, just trying to gather his wits about him. But at some point or another, he starts to climb his way out of the pit. Now, the climb out, it's not easy. Repentance is not easy. But the Lord is there to help us as we labor to the top. Repentance is going to be the most difficult thing that we do. It is going to be 
labor, it's going to be difficult. But we must not stop climbing. And as we're climbing out of this pit that we're in, we must never lose hope. The hope that we have is that one day we're going to make it out of this pit. We're going to be with our Lord. And everything will be made new. But until then, we have some climbing to do. And it's never going to stop. Either you're climbing or you're falling. Praise God if you're climbing. Let us worship God with all that we are. Let us worship him with all that we have. Worship should cost us much. And we should not get the glory for it, but all glory goes to God. Let's pray.